0: him for forgiveness, and that's the wonderful news of the gospel, that when we openly and honestly come before our Lord, he forgives us. He forgives us of our sins. you have your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 and 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Oftentimes, when we're reading through the Bible, and we come to these Letters, these epistles that are mostly written by the Apostle Paul, but not exclusively. These opening verses that we just read here just a moment ago are some things we cannot think very much of. We can think of these opening words here in these first two verses as just a formality. The way you would open a letter of that day. And in some sense that is true. But we also need to be reminded that the ultimate author of any letter that we find in the Word of God is God. So with that being the case, understanding that when Paul writes what he writes here, these are not just the words of Paul, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Bible being inspired, we're, we're saying that it was God, the Spirit of God, that moved this man by the name of Paul to write these very words. And as he opens up this letter, he is setting the tone for the letter. And the tone that he is setting here is one of grace. A tone of grace. Because, beloved, when grace is sounding forth, this is what he wants to continue to sound forth in the church there at Philippi. And when grace is sounding forth in a church... What you will see are the things that he will be promoting here in these opening two verses. You will see humbled, unified, gospel-centered people. Humbled, unified, gospel-centered church. This is what Paul is speaking and promoting here in these opening two verses. Let's look at the first thing he's promoting. He's promoting humility and he does that in the opening verses opening verse in two ways the first way he does it is through deference his deference to Timothy when you understand the relationship between Paul and Timothy Paul really is the spiritual father of Timothy he is the one who has discipled him he is the one who has brought him along in the ministry but when Paul is introducing them both to the church here at Philippi, they both have a history with this church. They both have served in this church. They both have been involved in this church. But when Paul is writing to them and he introduces them in the introduction here, he puts Timothy on the same level as himself. And that is a bold statement that Paul is making here because he's wanting the church to see in his deference to Timothy that they're all on the same level. They're all equal in that sense. And that's important to have humility in the church, to have humility in your life. When we're speaking about humility, we're really speaking about a mindset, the way that you think about yourself and the way you think about others. And Paul here is promoting humility, saying, I think just as much about Timothy as I do about myself. And that's the way I want you to see Timothy as well. To see others as just as important as yourself. Beloved, in the body of Christ, no one's better than another. We're all sinners saved by grace. And Paul makes that even more clear when he moves from his deference to Timothy to his description of himself in Timothy. Look again at verse 1. Now, this doesn't strike us as much as it would have for those that were listening and reading this letter when they received it. When he says Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus, that is a bold statement of the mindset of paul when he calls himself he's referring to himself as a bond servant understand a bond servant in that day was simply a slave he is saying timothy and i though we have been leaders in this church understand in the cause of christ all that we are we're just slaves We're just slaves of Christ. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing haughty here in regards to Paul. A slave, a bondservant with a slave, someone who was owned by another person. Now again, notice what he says, he is a slave of Christ Jesus. Jesus. He wasn't a slave of the church at Philippi. He wasn't the slave of someone else. He was a slave of Christ Jesus. And, beloved, what I want us to understand, and this is how this promotes humility in the body of Christ, is that we all have the same mindset that Paul had, that we see ourselves as slaves. I'm just a slave. I'm just a lowly slave because Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my master. Jesus is your master as a Christian. We're here to carry out His will, His agenda. To do the will of our master. There is this false idea that is often promoted within the, 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 the church that whenever a person gets saved, they're now just set free to go live however it is that they want to live. Beloved, that's not true. When you became a believer, you just went from one master to another. You went from a, a slave of sin, as we're going to talk about in a moment, to a slave of righteousness, to a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, you, you love your master. you loyal to your master. You live for your master. And understand, Paul wasn't the only one who taught this. Peter taught it over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, where he referred to himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Jude taught this over in in verse 1, where he referred to himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. The apostle John Refer to all of us when he says this letter, that, I, that this revelation of Jesus Christ is being given to his servants, his bond servants, to his slaves. As a slave, in that sense, we have no rights. And by that I mean we are to go where Jesus says to go. We're to do what Jesus says to do. Because he is our loving, gracious Master. Now you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, and maybe you're not a Christian and, and you're just thinking to yourself, I don't want to be the slave of anyone. I, I don't want to be referred to as a slave. Well, I, I want you to understand something because I said it a moment ago. We're all slaves. Everybody's a slave here, Okay? If you're not a slave of the Savior, you're a slave of sin. That's what the Bible teaches. You're a slave of sin. And sin is your taskmaster. He is your taskmaster who wants to deceive you. And who wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you and destroy you not only now, but He wants to destroy your soul for all eternity by you never accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you spend eternity in an eternal lake of fire separated from God. That's where sin will bring you. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the good news is, is that if you become a slave of Jesus, and by becoming a slave of Him, you're becoming a slave of the Savior. And Jesus is the one who delivers us from the slavery of sin. He's the one who breaks those chains away from sin. Sin is no longer my master. That doesn't mean I don't bow down to him, I do. I still sin, I still fall on my face, I still say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do. I still think things I shouldn't think. But I'm not a slave of sin. I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a slave unto righteousness. He's delivered me from that. And the good news about Jesus being your master is that Jesus will never, ever deceive you. He will never lead you astray. He will never desire to do anything that would destroy your life. He wants to give you life. He's here to bring you life in Him. He will never abuse you in any way. He knows what is best and he will always seek for what is best for you. Beloved, this is the mindset that Paul is setting forth in the very beginning of this letter. Because again, he knows that there has to be humility in the body of Christ. There has to be this mindset that we have. But secondly, Notice what else he's promoting there in verse 1. He's not just promoting humility, he's also promoting unity. Unity in the body of Christ. When we think about the church, a church, a local church is made up of different people, different backgrounds, from different places, different life experiences. No one here is exactly the same with anyone else. We may have some similarities, but there are some differences. And not only that, in the church, God has gifted people differently. given people different abilities. So people have different roles and different responsibilities in the body of Christ. But as all those things come together, and as they are to function, there is to be a unity that is there in the body of Christ. This is what he's promoting here in the last part of verse 1 when he's letting them know who he's writing this to, he's writing this to all of the saints that are in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. All of them. That means if it, whether it was a person who was a babe in Christ, that had just been born again, just professed faith in Christ, or someone who had been a Christian for many years, this was addressed to all of them. And notice what he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus. When he's speaking about the body of Christ, a local church, he refers to them as saints. See, that's the positive side of that if you want to think about it. A moment ago, Paul was saying, I have a mindset in which we're all slaves of Christ. But then, now he turns around and says, but now we're also all saints. Well, say, what is a saint? A saint is simply a saved sinner. It is simply someone that God has set his love upon, who's called to himself. He has set them apart unto himself. That's what the word saint means. It means to be set apart. And in this context, to be a saint in Christ Jesus, it is someone who's been set apart unto Jesus Christ to love him, to be loyal to him, to live for him. Beloved, that is what you are as a Christian. You are a saint. You're a saint. This goes against, obviously, teachings. Uh, maybe right within the Catholic Church that would would see that a saint is someone that was uh, has to be dead. And Someone that is investigated and, and there's a vote that takes place in deciding who is a saint. Beloved, understand this. A saint is not something that is determined by the church. It's not something determined by the leadership of a church. It's not something that we decide once someone has been dead and we examine their life to see how heroic their life has been. To see if there's been miracles in their life. To see if they've been a martyr for the... For the cause of Christ. That is not what the Bible teaches in regard to being a saint. It's not something for the super spiritual or for the mature beloved. A saint here is just someone who has put their faith in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can honestly sit here today and say, I am a person that has, is a follower of Christ, you are a saint. Now don't be nudging your wife and saying, see, I told you I was a saint all this time. But that's what he's, he wants them to see. So we're all saints, okay? But now notice what he says. Out of all those that are saints, there are some that are a part of the leadership of a church, to all the saints, he says, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now some of you, in your translation, it may say, including the bishops and deacons. Now let's think about it. Here he's making a reference to the leadership in a local church. Understand, when we think about the church, and we think about the leadership of a church and how a church functions, how a church operates, Again, God's Word is not silent about this. We, we don't. That's just why you're not going to see, if you come and become a part of a church, they don't have a president and a vice president. They don't have a CEO. No, the leadership in a church that we see here is that of the overseers and that of the deacons. So what are the positions of leadership? The way I would describe it is you have those who are the shepherds and those who are the servants. The shepherds are the overseers, or the bishops, as some translations will have, and the servants are the deacons. In fact, just to understand that, basically what we're saying, an overseer, because if you read your Bible sometimes, you ought to sometimes just ask a question. Okay, he's talking about, there are some people in the church at Philippi that according to my translation that I'm reading, they're called the overseers, or they're called the bishops, And then I look at our church and I say, there's no one in our church that's called the bishop. There's no one in our church called the overseer. So who is that? Well, clearly that is the pastor. That is the the pastoral body that was there as a part of the church at Philippi. In fact, if you will for a moment, turn over to the book of 1 Timothy for just a moment. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you will be familiar with this passage because this is where we talk about when we get into the idea of deacons and pastors in the church. Verse one, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, same word that we see there in Philippians chapter one. Verse one, it's a fine work he desires to do. Verse two, Here is the character of an overseer. So clearly, we can begin to understand that when Paul refers to overseers over in chapter 1, verse 1 of Philippians, he's just simply talking about the pastors there at that church. That is the leadership. You can see that same thing. If you go for a moment, go over and turn to Titus chapter 1 for a moment. Titus chapter 1. Paul has left Titus in an area called Crete. And I want us to get this terminology right. And in verse 5, here's what he says. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete. What's the reason? That you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So he has sent Titus to go back to every city in this area of Crete. And in every city there was a local church. And in that local church, he says, go back to that local church and appoint elders in that church. And he goes on to describe what that is. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Sound familiar? Sounds similar to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 7. For the overseer. And what I want you to see is that when you read your Bible and you're going through this, whether it says overseer or it says bishop or it says elder, all of those terms are referring to the same person in the same position of leadership in a church that we call the pastor. It's a pastor. That's the position of leadership. I call them the shepherds and the servants. The shepherds are the pastors. The servants are the deacons. You look over. You think about the, the leadership that is there. The purpose of that leadership is to, for the shepherds, is to lead. To look out for the body of Christ. For the... Servants for the deacons it is to obviously serve and meet the needs and especially the physical needs of the church and promoting unity in the body of Christ all under the leadership of the shepherds the parameters of this leadership is limited there to that local church That is, the overseers in Philippi didn't have the authority to go over to the elders and the overseers or the pastors in Ephesus and say, we want to make decisions and say things in regards to your church. They didn't have that authority. That authority that is vested to the the pastors of a church is there in that local body of Christ and of leading and looking out for the church, for their spiritual well-being. This was the leadership that was there. And again, should remind you, beloved, this church is not very old. And so already there has been uh, uh, an organization that is beginning to grow and understanding. And this is something that was developed not just here in Philippi, but it's developed in all the other places. As we said, we read there a moment ago that Paul left Titus there in this area of Crete to go back to the different cities where they had proclaimed the gospel, people got saved, churches got started, and he says, now go back and begin to disciple them, begin to spend time with them, to see leadership raised up from the church. As he says there in 1 Timothy chapter three, if there's a person there in the church who aspires to the office of an overseer, of being a pastor, that's a good thing for them to aspire to that, but they have to have the character for that. They have to have the capability for that, but this is something that was a part of the early church, the leadership. But now notice what Paul is doing here. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. Go back to Philippians one. 1. Because I said a moment ago, the whole point of what he's saying there is about unity. And the way he writes this, to say this is to all of the saints, including the pastors and the deacons. Which was to say this, that they were all supposed to take ownership of what he was writing. It may be something led by the pastors, but it was something that all of the saints... If they were part of the church at Philippi, they had a responsibility to hear what he was going to say in this letter and abide by it and desire to live it out, a desire to do it. There was an ownership for all of them. They were united in this cause together. Everyone, a part of the church. And brother, this is important in promoting unity in the body of Christ That whether it's the leadership or the laity, the pastors or the the people in the pews, that one, they're all saints. And they're all slaves. Okay, I'm a saint just like you're a saint. I'm a slave just like you're a slave. And we are called to work together in the cause of Christ. This is what he's driving home. I want us to look at a third theme he's promoting here. That is the gospel. He wanted this to be a humble, unified, gospel-centered church. That goes down to verse 2, where he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." I'm not going to make an assumption that just because I use the word gospel that is just going to know exactly what we mean by that. Maybe you're not a Christian. You, don't, you, you hear the word gospel, but you don't quite understand what all that means. Well, the word itself simply means good news. That's what the word gospel means. It just means good news. And we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why is the news about Jesus good? Good news for us. Well, it's good news for us when we're talking about it. It's because we're all lost sinners and we're all in need of being rescued, as I said a moment ago, from our sins. Because that's, our sins are going to lead us to an eternal destruction. We all have life after death. Everybody will live after they die. The question is where you will live. You will either live with God in the eternal new heaven and new earth that he will create, or you will live in the eternal lake of fire, separated from God. And the good news that we come to proclaim, this gospel that we're talking about, is that you can be reconciled to God. You need to have peace with God. But before that can happen, you have to recognize you don't have peace with God. I mean, if I think I'm at peace with God then I don't see any need to be reconciled. I don't see any need to be rescued. But you have to recognize that. That's what we were talking about Wednesday night, that one of the things we need to pray about and pray in in line with the Spirit of God and the Spirit's work, that when we read in the Gospel of John, John 16, we saw that Jesus says that when I go, the Holy Spirit will come, and one of the things He's going to do is He's going to convict the world about sin. That is, they convince sinners that they are sinners separated from God in needing of being rescued, of needing to be saved, brought to God. So we, we have to see ourselves the way God sees ourselves. Not the way I want to see myself, the way God sees ourselves. And this is the gospel we're talking about. And notice what it says, it is a gospel of grace, it is a gospel of peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, don't just read through that verse. And not take some time to think deeply about what Paul is saying there because Paul is actually making a very profound theological statement in that verse. He is saying that grace and peace originate from God. Grace to you and peace from who? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where this grace comes from. And that's even a a profound theological statement just about God. Because it's telling us there that there's at least two distinct persons that make up who God is. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God, but in this one Godhead, there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and we also know there is God the Holy Spirit. Not only that, what is this verse here in verse 2 teaching us then about Jesus? It's teaching us then that if Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is just as responsible for the grace and peace that comes as God the Father is, that tells us then that Jesus is God. He is deity. If someone doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus, understand, beloved, they're not a believer. You must believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. There, he's preaching here and teaching there is an equality between the Father and the Son, between the God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ because there is equality, because grace and peace comes from both of them. They're both operating in this. And what will be the outcome? The outcome when there is grace, notice the, the order, there's an intent with the order. Grace to you And peace. See, peace won't come until grace comes. Because when grace comes, and this is why we want to be a gospel centered church, gospel centered people that are filled with the grace of God that's growing in grace. Because when that is happening, beloved, the outcome is this sinners are saved. They're saved by the grace of God. And in that being saved by the grace of God, they enjoy and receive the peace with God. The peace that comes from God. But not only that, it also will lead to saints. And remember, saints, that's us being sanctified. You see, when there's a lack of grace, understand there will be a lack of peace. But when grace is reigning in our life, grace is reigning in our thoughts, grace is reigning in our conversations, when grace is reigning in our decisions and our actions, that will bring peace. Peace. This is what Paul is promoting here. As he opens up this letter, he's promoting a mindset of humility humility. He's promoting a a makeup of the church that is unified together. It is a humbled, unified body of believers that has at the heart and the longing the ministry of grace and peace. Beloved, when, when God's people get a hold of these things, there's just amazing things that God will do when we have the humility he's speaking about and the unity and this gospel-centered life. And they're going to need this to go through this letter because he's going to talk about humility and he's going to talk about unity and he's going to talk about the gospel. So he's preparing them for that as he promotes that even in his introduction and how he refers to himself and how he refers to them. And what he longs for for them. Now as we close this morning. Maybe there's some of you here today. You need to change masters. Maybe there's some of you here today. You need to recognize for the first time. That you actually need peace with God. You need peace with God. To see yourself the way God sees it. The way the Bible presents it as being an enemy of God's. You see, the Bible says this. It basically says, you're either with God or you're against God. There's no in between. We don't get to play both sides of the fence. You're either going to be with Him or you're against Him. But here's the good news. If you're against Him, He offers you grace. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation. He offers to welcome you to his team, to his side. And he will forgive you, receive you, accept you, cleanse you, and reconcile you to him for all eternity. That's the good news. Once God reconciles you, no one can ever take you out of his hands. And you can't jump out of his hands. You are his forever. If you have truly been reconciled to God, So, beloved, if that's where you are today, I want to plead with you, come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.